Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tudor Gander Pod. We do have a special guest for this one. Sheldon Massey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cryptic Commander Podcast. We are your hosts. I am Matthew Province. I'm Isaac R.G. And today, John will not be joining us uh, due to some family matters, so we have Isaac to co-host with us. Uh, Isaac, say hi one more time. Hello there. <laughs> okay, Obi-Wan. Today, we have special That's guests. That's general to you. Okay. Uh, today, we have special guests from YouTube. we got the Manadorks. How about you guys go and introduce yourselves? Uh, hey, I am a drunken dork from the Manadorks. And I'm Michael Apollo from the Manadorks. It is great to have you guys here today. Been waiting for a couple of weeks to bring you guys on, and you're finally here. Uh, may I also mention this is the first time I believe that the Cryptic Commander has had multiple special guests at the same time. Uh, so this is kind of exciting, and we'll be able to go more in depth into some of the conversations that we have in this. Uh, so let's get right to it. Um, I know that we've, in the past few weeks, we've been kind of changing things around uh, based on like the layout we have. Card of the Week used to be later on on the podcast, so we're going to dive into it right now. What we got is uh, Isaac wanted a black card, so we got Shao Ku Inbringer, uh, which is five colorless, two black. They are from Mirage, Summon Legend, uh, which is, you know, the old text for it, which is a legendary creature of Vampire is what it was added to. It has flying when it can't attack if there's another creature on the battlefield. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you'll lose three life. But you can tap it to the exile target creature and put a plus one plus one counter on Shao Ku. Uh, it is a five five uh, rare. First thoughts uh, from <laughs> Isaac. Well, um, this is actually my first time looking at this card. And my first impression is that it encapsulates everything that black is about you um basically there's a price for power you have to pay something in order to get further into the power that you want and so yes it's kind of a costly card for five five flyer uh it can't it can only attack alone uh or actually it can't attack if there's any other creature on the battlefield at all um and then you lose three life but you know i just consider that as three necropotence triggers uh, but the upside is that you can exile any threat on the field and it gets bigger each time. I Personally, for me, it's a little <laughs> bit slow. I mean, that's just coming from a Tiny Leaders commander player. But for someone who likes playing the long game of paying into their power creep, then I think this is very good. And... It's a legendary creature. So if you wanted, for some reason, it could be your general. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, all right, dorks, what do you guys think? I think I think this card, is, it's funny when you look at it, um, you know, like these cards from the 90s. Uh, I remember playing in the 90s and like something like this seems so powerful. And like when you look at it now in comparison to like cards like Uro, right? Like, or um, I don't know, any pretty much any uncommon creature, like in in recent years uh it just looks like a big piece of poop right like it's so it's like seven mana and then um it can attack and it does exile things but it only exiles one thing and then it gets a counter i, I don't know it's funny yeah i i like it i do agree with what you said it's definitely um it's definitely a black card but uh yeah it's just funny to look at like older cards like this and and see like how slow um 
creatures were uh, specifically in magic back then. Yeah. All right. Other dork. What do you think? Oh, this is going to be fun to say the entire podcast. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I agree. I agree with uh, actually both Drunken and Isaac. Isaac, in the respects of, um, I do completely believe that this completely full-heartedly um, fulfills like the color of black. It has pretty much everything that black is trying to do on a stick. It is seven mana for a five-five, but you know it does have exile on a stick. And if you were to use this uh, in commander, let's say as your general. You know, stick in all the removal you want. Uh, I don't think there's uh, any end all to that. You know, put in the Doom Blades, put in your Fatal Pushes, put in just murder for whatever reason, you know, like just make sure everything is off the battlefield for you to try to maintain uh, what this creature is trying to do. And the fact that it gets bigger um, could be pretty relevant. But, uh, and also agreeing with Dork, it is seven mana. And, um, you know, it can very easily just be countered or removed and many different ways on the flip end uh in 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 the respects of of commander specifically but uh yeah it's a cool card it's definitely very flavorful for the color of black um you know i dig it yeah and so the first thing that i think of when i see this is living death living death is a card that basically gets rid of all creatures on the battlefield and it replaces them with the creatures in the graveyard and they basically just want places is what it is. So when I think of Shaoku, I think of uh, having a commander like her and using Dredge since she can't really attack. If you use her um, and say you have a bunch of exile type removal in your deck and you're exiling your opponent's creatures, at the same time, you're getting your own creatures into your own graveyard by milling yourself and using the Dredge mechanic, then your opponent won't have any creatures to put onto the battlefield. It'll only be things removed. Whereas you'll have a bunch of creatures in your graveyard and all you're doing is swapping out Shaoku for 10 to 15 different creatures that you have in your graveyard. Um, so that was the first thing that came to my mind uh, when I saw this card. Um, uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to think in depth of um, even, you know, something large as this in mana cost of what it can do if you if you're able to play it right and um we're going to go on and beat a dead horse even more um because i believe this is the third week or maybe fourth week in a row that we've talked about commander legends um but i know that the mana dorks over here were super excited about the set one of their favorite things is edh um so i guess my first thing to you guys would be what are your first thoughts of commander legends um you mind if i start apollo yeah go ahead no Uh, go ahead go ahead okay so um i actually i was playing um i was playing uh edh last night on a spell table and um i did not realize that this set had released yesterday uh i did not know that i i thought it was releasing on the 20th i guess the cards aren't legal until the 20th but um i I was able to play with some people who were just playing the cards because I didn't care. Like, you know, it's commander, play with whatever the heck you want. And um, yeah, some of those cards are really powerful. I don't remember exactly what the card is, but there's basically this card that is like a Leovold where it, when it enters, if a person was to draw more than one cards besides their draw step, um, instead that uh, the player who owns this like Leovold type card creates a treasure token. And like, oh my gosh, I... 
I wish I knew what it was called, but it like shut the game down. It was an amazing card. It was incredibly oppressive. Everyone got mad. I didn't care. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I didn't get mad because like, hey, it's commander, like the game will end. We'll play another one after. But um, yeah, I, I'm excited. Like uh, I'm really excited to get my hands on some of these cards and uh, and play with them. They seem super powerful and super fun. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I'm really digging this set. Something that um, um, us at the Mana Dorks have talked about in the past and you know, pre-production and stuff is that um, I believe Commander over the years has uh, shifted. Initially, I thought Commander Legends was going to change the meta pretty drastically in a negative way. But now in retrospect, after I'm seeing everything, you know, changing the game is is uh pretty favorable uh i think like things with like modern and historic now and standard being changed up so quickly um being whether it's like a turn two to turn five kind of win kind of a game i feel like uh commander is evolving into that as well uh, when i first started it was pretty you know things start getting pretty powerful around turn seven to turns eight and now in recent times it's been you know about like turn five you see and then now with commander legends with all these great cards that have come out i feel like uh commander now starts getting pretty pretty crazy in the early turns like turn three turn two turns two to four i would say there's going to be some very powerful plays being made definitely not on the level of like competitive edh but um, I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely down for games to be a little bit quicker or maybe having a lot more flavor in there. Everyone else doing a lot of like really crazy and powerful um, effects and cards and stuff like that. So I'm really excited for it. I love it. And uh, I can't wait to update, update like my 20 EDH decks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's one thing that I do want to mention. So before I joined the podcast, um, John had actually managed to get Sheldon Minery on as a special guest quite a long time ago. Um, and wow. while I wasn't on the podcast then, I, I uh, friended Sheldon um, and we started talking a little bit. So uh, I, I kind of want to go back and ask him what his expectations were of Commander Legends and if um, R&D um, and the rest of the design team um, met his expectations for it. Um, Because I want to remind the listeners out there that the rules committee doesn't really have much influence over the card design itself. Their decisions are purely based on whether a card should be legal or not, really. Um, I'm sure that, you know, they're talked to about certain rules and stuff or new mechanics that might affect EDH in a drastic way. Um, But the cards themselves, uh, they don't really have much say on. Um, the only reason I'm mentioning this is because um, people have been complaining about Jeweled Lotus and been making memes about how bad the RC is um, for allowing a card like that. Um, I want to remind the listeners that that was not them that created that card. It was uh, Magic Magic themselves. They designed that card, um, which I, I personally think Jeweled Lotus is actually not an overpowered card. I think it's on par for where the future of Magic is going. And yes, power creep is real, but you need powerful cards to overcome power creep at the same time. And it just turns into this cycle of powerful cards to defeat powerful cards to defeat powerful cards. Um, and I know Isaac hasn't been playing seriously um, for quite a while. So I want, uh, Isaac, what are your current thoughts and feelings about the current state of magic having not really played much in the past few months? Well, um, <laughs> that that's kind of, 
I mean, kind of answer the question for me there. I, I don't really have a completely formed opinion on Magic's current state, but I do know after looking at some of the spoilers from Commander Legends, um, it's going to get um, interesting in uh, not necessarily a bad way, but it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be a little shocking to the system, uh, especially some of the new commanders that have come out. Um, like the one, uh, one of the dwarves was describing that's similar to Leovold. Uh, uh, yeah, that's really all I've got to say. <laughs> um, I, I haven't played Magic regularly since high school, and I'm a junior in college, so <laughs> you can see how out of touch I, I am at the moment. Yeah. So I actually received a question from a listener to ask um, to the dorks first, and of course I'll answer it later. Um, but it's uh, so you know we've there's a lot of uh, new legendary creatures coming out with Commander Legends, uh, quite an overwhelming amount of legendary creatures now that you can be using as your commander, especially with partner commanders, right? So the question I received was, um, how do you think? that this amount of legendary creatures will affect the game? And do you think it'll be a positive or a negative effect in the end? So I want to say first that like when Wizards makes Commander Legends, they do, they do, they have a very like clear idea of what they're doing. Obviously Commander EDH is one of the most popular, if not the most popular format in all of um, Magic the Gathering. However, they also have draft in mind. And I think the central core idea behind having so many legendary creatures was for that fact. So that way, when you're drafting, you can have those commanders, um, so to speak, whether they're not powerful or not, they could be in a draft sense. Now on the flip side, okay, draft is done. You don't play draft. Uh, you just want to buy the booster box and get all the cards. Okay, well then um, a lot of the power level of legendary cards that are in commander, well, not, I wouldn't say a lot. There's definitely a mix up between very powerful cards that could substantiate being a commander and also cards that just, I don't want to say bad, but probably not a wise choice to pick as your sole commander. Now with partner, you might be able to find some kind of um, weaving, which is something I, I love about EDH. And I love that they're bringing partner back. There's a way for you to um, maybe find new ideas, new combos, uh, new deck ideas, new strategies that fits uh, what your theme is or what you're trying to go with. Also, uh, something comes to mind, um, cards that care about legendaries, like uh, Kethys, I can't remember. I think it's Sisse, Weathered Captain. You know, there's other cards there that, that might support those kind of strategies as well. Um, but all in all, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because uh, they're not all overpowered, extremely, you know, over-the-top commanders. So, um, yeah, I, I look forward to it, and I like it. I like that they've added uh, quite a bit of legendaries to the set. All right. What about you, Drunken Dork? Um, yeah, no, I agree with yeah, everything uh, that Apollo said. Yeah, I mean, a big, I think a big part of why there's so many legendaries is because of the draft purpose, um, the, like, sealed purpose. But um, I do think that, uh, you know, like, looking through the whole set, there isn't, like, a lot of overpowered legendaries. And... Um, I personally like playing like a battle cruiser style uh, commander, like really slow, really janky commander. Like I do enjoy that a lot. And uh, yeah. there, there is a lot of like 
there's just a lot of, you know, not good legendary cards in there that I can build fun, stupid decks out of. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to do that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I, I do agree with both you guys that um, the legendaries uh, were created, uh, the amount of them, I mean, were created more for the purpose of the drafting within itself. But I also think another reason, and this is Wizards thinking ahead and being smart, um, is, you know, how often people complain about metagame and how decks are constantly the same, right? Which is something we hear often. That's how competitive magic works is um, there's going to be one, two, three, maybe four top tier competitive decks that are or that are the ones that you're going to be playing against the most. And I think this is something that would have happened with Commander Legends coming out had they have not printed that amount of legendaries, which is going to be able to create a more even playing field during drafts um, and even deck building in the future um, when creating like a, a normal constructed commander deck is now people have many, many, many viable options to choose from when building a commander deck. Uh, a lot of these partner commanders, while they're pretty weak by themselves, when you put them together, they can create some pretty cool effects. Uh, so I, I think that part of that was them thinking of it thinking ahead of um, the the base uh, complaints that they've gotten in the past with you know, the metagame constantly being the same. Uh, so next year, we're going to be moving into the top decks of the week. Uh, so first off, we're going to start by standard. The top deck is currently Gruel Adventure. Now going to modern, we got <laughs> Red White Burn. Red I like that. What? That's a, that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it, Burn has always been one of the top things um, in Modern. Uh, Legacy is still Omnitel. It's been that way for multiple weeks now. It's 4.5% of the meta uh, with Death and Taxes falling behind. Um, Death and Taxes has always been there. Uh, now we're going to get to Vintage. Uh, it's Jace Storm. I don't remember if it's the same as it was last time, but it's currently holding up 17% of the meta. And then we're going to Historic, which is one of your guys' specialties, which is Red Deck Wins. Mm, Good lord. Uh, it's still 8%, but four-color mid-range looks like it's catching up a little bit at 7.18%. Then we got Popper. We got Stompy is the name of the deck. It's just mono green, <laughs> Stompy. Um, but we got Boros Flashback Ooh. is coming up behind fairly quickly now uh, with Stompy at 6.62% and... Uh, Boros flashback at 6.42 percent um so we might see a catch up there um not the not the food um uh, coming up soon then still got an edh we still got timna the weaver at one percent and thrasios at 0.9 percent somewhat closely behind got highlander which is like uh, original commander uh is mono red is the base of the deck, but it's still four colors. Uh, that doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, <laughs> second four color deck is also 9.5%. So two decks at the same level, um, only a $3,000 difference. That's all. That's all. You know, somewhat budget, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then for Pioneer of the week, we still got Mono Black at 5.28%, not full wave. And then we got Spirits at 5.03%. Um, I was honestly expecting that everything's pretty much the same. I think we got one change there overall. Um, how do you guys feel about 
all those numbers. Um, have you? Is that what you guys are currently seeing in historic and EDH? Um, yeah, I mean, you do see a lot of mono red burn, but I will say out of all those numbers that a $27,000 price tag on that vintage deck, that's what I saw. That's a, an insane. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't surprise me. Um, vintage is going to be thousands of dollars pretty much no matter what if you yeah. want to become competitive. Um, and then now moving on into part of our marketing section, not marketing, but market section, uh, we got movers and shakers. At number three of this week, we have Opposition Agent. Uh, I know we were talking about this earlier in our group chat. Um, I absolutely hate that card. <laughs> well, I'm going to go into a little bit of depth in it in a sec, but it's currently at $34.86. It is up 51.57% from last week. Um which is not necessarily surprising. I do see it dipping in the future, um, just to be completely honest. Um, when it does dip, I do recommend picking up a few if you are able to, listeners, because uh, I do see it settling um, possibly about this range that it's currently at in the future once again. Um, for those of you who do not know what Opposition Agent is, it's from Commander Legends, two colorless, one black, creature human rogue, has flash, you control your opponents while they're searching their libraries. So from anything from Vampiric Tutor to Fabled Passage, you get to decide what they find. And then while an opponent is searching their library, they exile each card they find, and you are able to play those cards for as long as they remain exiled. And you may spend mana as though it were, any ma- as though it were mana of any color to cast them. And it is a 3-2. Um, the reason I see this dropping in the future is because I don't really know anything um, that m- pushes the opposition agent over the edge. So as a 3-2 by itself that does this, it, it can be quite powerful, but only if your opponent doesn't have an answer to it, which is why I see it dropping in the future. People are going to be like, oh, this isn't as hard to deal with as I originally thought. And the only annoying thing is the flash part which is if you're cracking something or you're playing a fetch, not a fetch, sorry, if you're playing um, any type of surge library card at this, uh, and then opposition agents flashed in in response, that can get really annoying. Um, That's why I have Grand Abolisher in my deck. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, Dorks, any thoughts about opposition agent before I move on to number two? I think this is a great card. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like it, but yeah, like you were saying, I think it dies to removal. It doesn't have hex proof or anything. Um, so I think this is this card is fine. There is a lot of searching. Like this, this will shut down some of my decks. Like my land matters decks, where I have like a million different fetch lands in it, it yeah. will destroy me. But uh, as long as I have at least one piece of removal, I can get rid of it, which I have multiple in that deck. Like, it's fine. You know, like, I think this is fair. Like, people do cheat things out, like, more often than not. So, um, you, you know, why not punish them? I do. I did hear someone say, I don't really, I, I wish I could credit whoever, whatever podcast I was listening to. But, like, it would have been better if this was in, like, a different color, like, white. Because black didn't need this, right? Like, something like yeah. white, this would have been a lot better in. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, imagine. I agree. Yeah. I was about to say, imagine opposition agent as white with Grand Abolisher. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yikes. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. This is something that we uh, discussed very shortly in a previous episode of ours. And um, I was uh, moreover saying I would love to see this more in uh, Historic, but in Commander, you know, it dies to removal. Even if you're playing Esper or some kind of blue, 
um, to counter and protect it. Uh, I mean, you're just protecting a 3-2 at that point. Its uh, ability is neat, but uh, it's not game-winning. Yeah, exactly. And um, most of the time, people aren't going to spend all of their resources to keep opposition agent alive, unless it's truly into the late game where they know they can win by keeping on taking your stuff. Or even if they're able to cheat it out on turn two, maybe even turn one, if you're able to just completely shut down your opponent's deck, then why not keep opposition agent alive? It's got its niche place. It's kind of unique in that regard. But, you know, it's it's like one of the dorks said, it's not game-ending unless you're really late into the game. Then it could have some weight. But um, other than that, it's basically just removal bait. for So you, you can just get your opponent's good removal out of the way so that your real threats uh, aren't dealt with. Yeah, no, I agree. And on to number two of the week, uh, we have Battle Tide Alchemist, uh, which is currently at $5. In the past week, it's gone up 176.24%. Uh, so it was originally hovering at about $1.80. And in the past just few days, past couple of days alone, um, it's gone up to $5, which still doesn't sound like a large amount, but the percentage has gone up. I, I can see it going up more. Uh, and it's a uh, three colorless, two white. It's a Kithkin cleric. If a source would deal damage to a player, you may prevent X of that damage, where X is the number of clerics you control. Uh, I just want to say, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Um, uh, there were some clerics recently released, right, Dorks? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially with uh, Vito out right now i can see how uh, this would be kind of an important thing to have um, to fight against being dealt damage to especially with your opponent getting like if your opponent gains a bunch of life and then uh, vetoes out deals that much damage to you which can end up being quite a lot it's happened to me multiple times so if you have something like this out uh kind of protects you if you're playing a cleric deck uh, i mean it's just great protection in general playing a cleric deck just gonna say it all right uh, do you guys have any other thoughts on this I mean, it's a it's a cleric it's a cleric tribal. Uh, it's cool that they're trying to do it. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be like viable, but it is cool to see. It's different. Yeah, uh, the only reason it's gone up in price is because it's a cleric and there's more clerics now. Um, it's five mana, um, so it's not like super power overpowered or anything. It's not really that powerful. It just helps deflect some damage. All right, and going on to number one, which is a card I actually own and use, is Teferi's Veil. It's currently at 299, um, gone up 346.27% in the past uh, 10 days, it looks like. Um, it's gone up pretty very quickly, um, sitting at $33, which isn't very much, but it has no signs of stopping. Um, what it does, it's a one colorless, one blue. It's an enchantment. Whenever any creature you control attacks, it phases out at end of combat. Um, I use this. I have a phasing deck that I actually play, which Dorks and Isaac are probably going to be like, I really hate this guy. He plays phasing. He's a complete nut job, piece of garbage. And to that, I agree. Um, <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it in that kind of words. Well, but... not a lot, at least. You're thinking in it. You're thinking about it. Um, oh, I think about it 24-7. Thanks, Isaac. Much appreciated. Uh, 
<laughs> my deck, um, I I play with a uh, Zerzi Enchanter. Mm. <laughs> so once again, everybody's listening to this is gonna hate me right now. So I just attack and get out to Perry's Veil, and it's basically just a phasing deck. How it works is I kind of have two battlefields. Um, that way, if somebody wipes out one, I have the other battlefield that's phased out and can't really touch it. And then if I have something like Grand Abolisher, then it makes it really untouchable during my turn. And then it, the entire battlefield will phase out once again after my turn is over. And this is just one of those things that helps me get to that point where I want to be um, basically untouchable. It's very fun to play. Not uh, not for you guys, but for me. It's very fun to play. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this card overall? Uh, yeah, this is an interesting card. I've played against it before. I, I don't have it in any of my any commander decks, but... Um... Yeah, you sound like a real piece of garbage. Thanks. <laughs> I, I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a degenerate card for sure. Um, I actually I actually like it a lot. Um, I think the rise is also akin to the fact that a lot of um, I wouldn't say complaint complaints, but concerns about phasing or new players that are entering in don't know what phasing in. How does phasing work? And then with cards in the like latest being like Teferi's Protection, which has phasing. So um, I think like with all that combined is probably why this is probably seeing more play. Phasing is a very, very strong mechanic and something I think uh, people want to see more of. So yeah, I dig it. It's degenerate. And uh, that's the kind of commander I like playing. <laughs> I think I like you, man. Uh, <laughs> Isaac, uh, any other thoughts other than me being a degenerate? Uh, no, that's about uh, everything. All right, makes sense. Thanks. Um, <laughs> moving on from movers and shakers, now we're going directly to talking about Call of Duty Remastered, and it was released two days ago on Arena. Uh, Isaac, I know you don't really play Arena, but I just want to hear you as somebody who doesn't really interact a whole lot with the Magic community as much right now. How do you feel about Kaladesh coming back? Well, it definitely gives me flashbacks of the first vehicle cards. Um, and those were fun to uh, commandeer, or no, that's that's not the word. Um, I guess <laughs> drive uh, vehicle cars. I, I don't know. I can't remember. It's been so long. It's like, Dorks, uh, what are your guys' thoughts on Call of Duty Remastered being remastered? Well, Call of Duty being take remastered. Um, I, I mean, uh, so like on our, uh, not to plug us, but like on our podcast, we, we talk about a lot of historic and like I have said so much about this set. I love it. Like I love the fact that it's coming into um, Arena. I think it's great. I, I like uh, more powerful magic generally. So like the fact that they're adding this whole other set into arena and like they're going backwards, you know, working their way back. I think it's really, I think it's really cool. Um, on the other hand, you know, it's also like um, them introducing this and introducing every other set going like going back. It's also getting increasingly more expensive as a player, um, which I don't like. Um, and it, it makes it a lot harder to actually collect all the cards like on on arena and like have a, multiple viable decks. Um, but the set itself, I love it. I love Kaladesh. I, I mean, I thought there were really powerful cards. I really, really like energy. Anytime you have another uh, resource, it always like it always um, it always helps, right? It I don't know if helps is the right word, but it, it definitely makes magic feel more powerful when you have something else you can tap into where energy is, is the resource. Um, you know, being able to play things for essentially free uh, feels really good 
Yeah, no, that's true. Um, all right, other dork, what do you think? So, yeah, I have to full heartedly agree. I completely love Kaladesh Remastered. And for those like listening in, um, if you don't know, this is like a more refined set. It's not actually Kaladesh and A3 Volt. Uh, they have taken out uh, 100 plus cards uh, to make a more unique uh, draft setting. Also, to not assume overpower um, the historic format in Arena because there are cards that are banned in Pioneer cards that were banned when when this was in standard so those are not included uh, walking ballista something that comes to mind feldar uh, guardian okay. um, but yeah of all in all this is an amazing set i have been loving uh playing this on arena there's a bunch of decks all over it's like it seems like every time they come out with a new set it's like the wild west all over again everyone's having fun Nothing um, seems too overpowered at the moment, which I think is a very good sign. I thought Teamer Marvel, which is a deck that I'm playing, would be uh, pretty broken. But um, I, I am seeing a lot of decks starting to flourish that are able to um, take it down. Uh, something like Azorius Control or very hyper aggro. Uh, Goblins is uh, kind of a mix up. It could be you could be dead in turn three. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if it passes on to me, turn four. You might be staring down an Ulamog or an Ugin. Um, so, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, all in all, I, I absolutely love this set and uh, very excited for how the meta will develop in Historic on Arena. Yeah, no, I completely agree with everybody. Uh, I love having those older sets come back, but it all it does make it hard to get the cards because you're already working on you know building up your collection from the sets that are already there, but now you have another thing there. It's going to make it more expensive, make you want to pay more into it, uh, especially people like us who want to play more competitively, right? We have to put money into it and to, and, and, and to be able to get the decks that we want as quick as we want. Uh, so it does make it a little bit annoying there, but it is awesome to be able to have those cards, be able to play with them, experiment in arena uh, rather than on paper, especially because of the time we're in right now. It's great to have Kaladesh back. It brings back some nostalgia from those days. And those were some great days of magic, not going to lie. And uh, right now, we're going to be going into uh, Mana Dorks. are going to talk about themselves a little bit, tell you about their channel, how you can find them, and what they do. So uh, go ahead. All right. So what's up, everyone? My name is Michael Apollo. And uh, as it's been stated a few times, we're part of the Mana Dorks podcast. We have our main podcast called the Mana Rant, which is on YouTube. You can also find us on um, wherever you get your podcast. So iHeartRadio, Google, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll be able to find us. Now, when you're searching something that we have uh, received, um, notifications about is make sure you type the mana dorks not just mana dorks because if you do you will see a bunch of people <laughs> named mana dorks um, so if you put the mana dorks it should show us as the first search option also you can find us at the same name the mana dorks on facebook twitter instagram and um other than that, there's three of us total. One is not here today, but if you'd like to follow Instagram as well, we have our own individuals. Uh, mine is at Michael Butler Bro. That's B R O H. My other co host is Drunken Mana Dork. And the third one is at um, Super Houston. Uh, Houston, like the city. You're, uh, well, it's at Drunken Dork, not Drunken Mana. So at Drunken Dork. Oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah. And, drunk, uh, yeah. 
and our podcast comes out every Sunday. So yeah, we are we have it up on on all the things that Apollo just said, um, like uh, YouTube, iTunes, all that on Sundays. Okay, I'm curious. Uh, I guess my first question would be, how do you guys come by the name the Manadorks? Why did you go that direction? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I don't, because uh, we always just refer to, it's like, um, I I don't know, we always just refer to each other as dorks, like we just, you know, it's like, um, it's more affectionate, I guess, than it is like, it's kind of just the way our colloquial like term of talking to each other when you say Apollo. Yeah, you know, and then for those that don't know, like, you know, like Llanowar Elves or Findhorde Elves or Elvish Mystic, they're all considered mana dorks, right? Like, yeah. yep. So um, that's just where we coined the term. We're all MTG dorks, and we thought the um, term would be kind of funny, kind of punny, and uh, that's <laughs> just what stuck. <laughs> yeah. So. How, did, how did Drunken Dork specifically come to be? If this isn't a radio-appropriate story tell me that'll be fine but if how, it is i'd like to hear it how my name came to be drunken dork yeah oh i, I mean it's just because i it is exactly what it is i'm just a drunken dork like i i am you take those two words and you combine them together and that sums me up uh for the most part i like to drink beer and i really like um just like dorky like nerdy things like i'm really into magic the gathering i'm really into video games i really like comic books i really like star wars and all kinds of sci-fi stuff i constantly read sci-fi books so i don't know it's just like um and then i also really like um delicious beer so i just combine <laughs> the two this is okay. the way this is the way <laughs> all right this is the way <laughs> we've all said it now let's move on all right so I've said this repeatedly in the podcast so far, but I know you guys absolutely love Historic. Um, so I want you guys to just say a few things about it. Uh, you know, Tell me what your favorite decks are to play. What are your processes going through these decks and creating your own? Go at it. So, yeah. So um, I guess just to clarify once again, we are like typically a historic based uh podcast with a little splash of commander so if that's your guys's thing um be sure to check us out and with that being said we absolutely love historic i personally well i guess i'll say all three of us um have been playing since the 90s since we we're little kids me and drunken dork used to play a lot in uh in the competitive scene with modern and standard in the past and i feel historic is fast approaching being on the level that uh, it, modern legacy and um, pioneer could be uh, extremely powerful cards, a well diverse meta, and it's a, an extremely healthy format, I think. And so far, like there's nothing like degenerate going on where it's just like the one deck and everyone else is just trying. They're in tier 1.5 or tier two. There's a lot of good tier one decks, and there's a lot of really powerful tiers 1.5 decks. As for myself, I typically am, I like playing, I, I like being a control player, but I typically like playing a lot of uh, mid-range. Right now I'm playing Team or Marvel. And also since I've been playing since I was a child, Gruel Aggro, um, it's a pet deck of mine. I love playing it. It's something I just know like the back of my hand. Uh, so I guess for me, those are probably my best two uh, and most favorite decks to play in, in Historic or in Magic in general. Great. Um, what about you, other dork? 
Yeah. So um, uh, just like uh, Paulo said, uh, I really do like uh, more powerful magic. I do think standard is really powerful right now, but um, there's something about having a deeper card pool to pull from and like being able to make like more um, obscure, like abstract decks. Um, I really like things that you can't really find in like standard formats with like combo, you know, like that's just generally something you don't find in standard and like, um, or like just having a wider um, gap between like different styles of play and like the further back you go, the more you're going to have that. And I really do like the pacing they're taking. Like I said, I don't like the financial pacing that historic's taking because like, Whereas like um, originally what historic was is you'd play your cards that um, you already own, but now because they're like releasing sets going backwards, you have to actually spend money to do this. Um, that is that, like I said, that is a little frustrating, but it, it also at the same time is very exciting just because um, it's turning out to be uh, its own format, which I like, like uh, they're veering off of Pioneer because they actually have historic anthology. And um, so they're releasing cards from like magic's history and i love that like they can really put a lot of thought into this and like really make it a, an interesting format you know uh, completely different from pioneer from modern from legacy and they can like do whatever they want because it's digital they they have the availability to like to limit the card pool or maximize the card pool to whatever they want and i really really like that about historic yeah, no, I think for me, that's the main reason I love Legacy. Um, because Legacy, really, you don't need a high budget to play it competitively. A lot of people will say you do, but it's really, really completely different from Vintage. Uh, vintage, you do need a lot of money to play competitively. You need thousands of dollars. But in Legacy, you can build a decent deck for 50, 60 bucks. Um, and it's the same thing with Historic. Um, I, mean, I mean, they're not the same, but... It, it goes the same as far as the mana pool, being able to do more. Uh, it, there's more things you can do for a lower price is kind of what I want to get at there. Um, like before Demonic Consultation went up, there was like using, uh, I don't know if this is the legacy legal, but there was Lemdol's Vault plus Demonic Consultation, did some crazy crap. It, it's just really fun things that you can do in both formats. And I just kind of want to get into something here uh, completely random. Uh, and then the Mana Dorks actually, actually just saw this for the first time today as well, is uh, we have a holiday card spoiled for 2020. Um, it was spoiled three days ago. Uh, it's called Top Deck the Halls. Uh, so I'm currently sharing my screen on Zoom right now. So the Dorks and Isaac can see this card. I really wish you guys, if you hadn't seen it yet, could see what I, we're, we're looking at right now. But you could, of course, go look it up later. Uh, but it's a three colorless red white it says happy happy holidays 2020 kind of like how a promo would it's an enchantment it's decorated cards in your hand have miracle uh snow the uh, snow land so you pay snow to do this ability is uh decorated cards include premiums promos and cards with alternate frames or art uh for those those of you who don't know premiums are foil cards uh, at the beginning of your upkeep if you control 12 or more decorated permanents you win the game it's not that hard to do uh, this is an unset card as well, so it's not legal in any normal format. But if you're playing an unset, I guess it could be legal. Um, I think it's kind of fun that they're doing this. I'm I'm very interested to see if they come out with any other holiday promos. Uh, what do you guys think? 
I think it's sweet. I think it's really funny. Uh, it's cute. I like it a lot. Um, uh, I don't play a lot of un, but I do, uh, I do think it's really fun. You know, like this is something I could totally see sitting down with my wife and like making some silly decks and like using. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I usually don't play any kind of un except for the like full art, uh, basic lands, but this, this card is, it's funny. It's, it's flavorful. It's super cute with the little gingerbread man, like on the, the little branch there. Um, and you know, miracle with the snow lands, it just, it's, it's, it's funny. It utilizes everything and it's, uh, it pays uh, to have the foils. So it's really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested. So on here, it says one out of one cards, uh, from that set and, you know, in the bottom left where it says the number of cards in the set. So it's doubtful that there's going to be anything else created. And I don't even know if this is going to, maybe this is going to be printed in like one of those secret drops um like as one of those extra cards you know like how when they had this super summer drop they put a, a stained glass planeswalker in every single one of those boxes so i'm curious to see if like this is something that they're going to put in an upcoming uh drop or if they've already announced it and i'm just completely oblivious and have no idea what i'm talking about either <laughs> is definitely possible um and then going into our last thing for the podcast today, I know it's so sad we're ending, uh, but we wanted to give an update on our 3D printing. Um, so you can actually go check out what we're currently 3D printing over at the Cryptic Commander um, on Instagram and on Facebook, I believe. I also posted it there, but go check us out on Instagram. It's where I post all the fancy pictures. Um, and you'll be able to see we're printing a, a EDH live counter. It's currently two digit. We're going to be designing the three digit one as well. Uh, we also have a 3D printed deck box that we've got designed, um, and we're about to get ready to um, start printing that more and be able to sell. We're currently working a tiny bit on the design for the 3D uh, life counter, but it's darn near perfect, and we're going to be able to sell those as well. Uh, I know the life counters are already pretty popular. Um, everybody wants a, one of those turnable EDH life counters that you know you got in the Arch Enemy um, set. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So we found something that was pretty similar on Thingiverse, um, which is a website <clears> you can go to to find 3D models. And so we kind of took it in as our own and changed a, a few things with it uh, to make it our own. Uh, and I'm pretty excited. It's pretty similar to the one that you'd find. But the cool thing about it is, um, if say you're using, I know how games of D&D &D can go forever and you pause in the middle of campaigns, right? And so what you can do with it is you can actually screw it in and lock the number that you're currently on and throw it in your bag. So that way that number is locked for the next time you're ready to go and play the game again, which I find super cool. Um, cool. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's that small. Is cool. Yeah, it's one of the, it's a small uh, feature to it, but I found I find it super awesome. Um, yeah, and so uh, we plan this upcoming week uh, being able to have all five colors of magic available for both the deck boxes and the life counters, uh, either this week or the one upcoming, uh, we'll definitely have both available. Uh, I'm very excited. So make sure you guys are updated with thecrypticcommander.com. Uh, are there anything, is there anything that anybody here wants to add before we uh, sign off? Uh, I just want to say thanks for having us on. Yeah, uh, it was fun. Absolutely. No, yeah, I just want to thank you guys uh, for, for letting us on. It was a lot of fun for sure. And uh, hope to be back soon. Yeah, no, we'd love to have you guys back. It was great having you here. Isaac, thank you very much for standing in for John today. It was great to have you in here again. 
Uh, <clears throat> always a pleasure uh, having you help host an episode of Decrypted Commander. It was great to be here. Um, we're looking forward to being in another podcast in the future. And um, one last thing, I lost the game. Now we all lost the game. Uh, thank you to our listeners uh, throughout, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whatever you guys are listening on, you guys are completely awesome. Uh, thank you for following us on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we love seeing our family grow each and every episode, each and every day that we have. Um, and then the special guests that we have on, you guys are completely awesome. Um, each new addition we bring on to our family. Um, our listeners love you guys and always ask for you guys to come back on again. Um, so we're going to we're gonna continue having some regulars coming on. And I definitely want to see you guys coming on again in the future. And so that's going to be all for us tonight. Uh, don't forget uh, to follow us on Spotify and all, whatever you guys listen to us on. Share the podcast if you can. Keep on spells in.